We're in the midst of a series on prayer, and it's called The Prayers of Jesus. And the goal of the series is to look at how Jesus prayed uh, throughout the Gospels, his actual prayers, and to reposition our, our longings and expectations. Uh, we want to long after the things that Jesus longs after. We want to expect the things that Jesus expects. And so we've looked at John 17, and we've, and we've spent the last few weeks in the Lord's Prayer. And so this particular week, we're going to talk about uh, forgiving, getting, being forgiven of our debts and forgiving others. And so Maria read exactly what I asked her to read of the Lord's Prayer, but there's a tag line at the end of the Lord's Prayer that jumps back into this idea of forgiveness. And this is what it says. Can you put that verse up for me, please? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I'm not sure if there's anything that's more at the heart of Christianity than the idea of forgiveness. It's probably at the center and also one of the most difficult things. So today we get to talk about what it means to be forgiven and to forgive others. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll jump in more. God, we thank you that you are a forgiving God. That you love us despite our sins. Today, would you humble us? Would you show us your truth from your word? And would we go away changed? Amen. Uh, Sarah and I get the opportunity to do a lot of like premarital counseling. And one of the things we talk about is how do you deal with conflict in your marriage or in your relationship. And everybody has different ways of doing it. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I used to think I was really good at forgiveness. And I'm not. I'm not at all. In fact, when Sarah and I will we'll get in an argument, I am one of the people that I, I need the peace to be restored and so I'll say, go up to her and I'll say, well, I'm really sorry for what I did. But if she doesn't reciprocate that apology right away or forgive me right away, I'm distraught. And I want to pull back my apology. Anybody else that way? It's like, I apologize so that you will apologize to me. I'm expecting you to forgive me. And then if you forgive me, then I'll therefore forgive you. Anybody else? Like, this is how my mind works. I'll be like, you're, wait, wait, you're not ready to reconcile yet? Forget what I just said. I'll come back in a couple minutes when you're ready and I'll give my apology again at that point because it's dependent upon you forgiving me as well as apologizing to me. Just this week, President Biden gave a speech about all that's going on in Afghanistan. And I don't pretend to know where you stand on that war or many of the other wars that the United States has fought or how this was handled the last 20 years by all different administrations. But I want you to hear the words that he said in light of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. President Biden says this, To those who carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm, know this, we will not forgive we will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. 
Jesus is radical about forgiveness. He says to go as far as to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says if you can't forgive other people, then you won't, your sins won't be forgiven. Now, I know that this is a country as, as opposed to a person. People have all sorts of arguments, but still, it's a shocking statement, is it not? Regardless of where you land politically. And so I want today to say two things that I think are happening in our culture today. Two trends in our culture that are at odds with this verse and why I think these trends are problematic when it comes to Jesus. The first thing I would say is there's a trend of this idea that I don't need personal forgiveness from anything. And I want to look at a passage. I'm, I'm just going to summarize it today. I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time. But you can read along or look at it and look it up if you'd like or read it afterwards. But it's Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. And so some of you who have grown up in the church have probably heard this passage before. It's a profound story of Jesus interacting with this paralytic whose friends lower him down through the roof. Now, the roof didn't have a hole. They dug a hole in the roof so that he could reach Jesus and hopefully be healed. There were so many people surrounding Jesus that that's what it took to get in front of him. And up until this point in Mark, everything's going really swell for Jesus. Everybody's excited about his ministry. Everybody thinks he's pretty amazing. There's no confrontation. There's, there's, there seems to be no pushback. There's no hostility yet. But this moment sparks something and everything begins to change. Because what it says in the passage is that Jesus sees the man's faith. Now the man hasn't said anything. He sees the man's faith and he says, your son, your sins are forgiven. Now that is a statement. I imagine somebody that we just might meet in Chicago in a context that's, that's somewhat post-Christian. And, and for one of us to, you know, to say, or Jesus to say to some, it would be better if Jesus said it, not us. But if Jesus said, hey, your sins are forgiven. And the person might say, ah, uh, okay, great. That's great. I mean, I'm looking for a spiritual experience. That's always a good thing to have. But Jesus, the reason I'm here is not because of my sins, but because I'm paralyzed. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus encounters this man that's paralyzed. Clearly he's there to be healed because they'd heard that Jesus is a healer. And Jesus doesn't heal him right away. The first thing he does is declare that his sins are forgiven. Someone, maybe some people would say, well, I want a spiritual experience. I wouldn't express it in that way. But other people might say, forgiveness? You think I need forgiveness? I've been the one that's been abused in my life. I've been the one that's been hurt in my life. You think I need forgiveness? I'm the victim. I'm, and this man could say, you think I need forgiveness? I'm the one that's paralyzed. 
You might say, how does the God that you represent allow that to happen? Maybe there's bitterness inside. And I think Jesus is hitting at two things here. And I, I, I don't want to overstate this because these things go in parallel. It's like some people overemphasize the spiritual. Some people overemphasize the physical. And Jesus just refuses to play that game. He says, I'm going to forgive your sins because you desperately need that. And I'm going to heal you because you desperately need that. Jesus is saying that a significant need that it, right before you is that your, is, is your sins. What ails you and, and what your, your need is, is, is your sin. And he's saying just as important as your physical health is your spiritual health. Nothing is more important than your right relationship with God. It's really important that Jesus also heals this man, isn't it? It's not, it, it would be very disheartening if he just forgives his sins and he turns them away and says, good luck. But Jesus heals him physically as well, showing that that matters as well. See, the Bible doesn't teach that the body is bad and the spirit alone is good because Jesus died uh, and rose bodily from the dead. And Christianity is unique and that our view of heaven is that the physical universe, the one that we're inhabiting right now, will be redeemed, the entire cosmos. The physical matters. What we do with our body and what we do with creation matters greatly to God. And so Jesus still heals him, but still he starts with forgiving his sins. And I think for many of us today, if we're talking to people around us, and maybe even ourselves included in this, we might start to question the idea of the Christianity that we grew up in that felt very guilt-ridden. Everything was, the goal was to get you to feel bad so that you'd say you're sorry and come back to Jesus. And people would refuse that idea. They'd say, don't put that sort of guilt on me. You cannot make me feel guilty. I don't need your forgiveness. In a sense, they're saying, I don't need you to tell me that I'm wrong about my life. I'm the one that determines what is right and wrong. This individualism is rampant in our culture. And whether you agree with it or not, we have to say that it is pervasive, right? There is a sense where most people would say, I'm not a person that needs forgiveness. But I, I'm not sure that that's true. I think Jesus starts with this idea, and, the, and Jesus uh, prays in this prayer. He says, forgive us our debts. There's this idea that we are at de in debt to God because of our behavior. And some people might say that sounds like really negative or really harsh, but I'm convinced that many of us have, um, <laughs> I don't know, been conditioned to do the right things and in, our, in our, whatever's acceptable in our context and our culture, and therefore we never have to feel very guilty about anything because we w would never feel like we've done anything wrong according to anyone else's standards. I think much of the evil in the world is actually restrained because of uh, laws and social conditioning and, and, and kind of, you know, that pressure to, to, to fit into whatever's right or wrong inside the culture today, within your friend group or even as the larger society. 
I think the second reason is that, that most of us aren't as evil as we possibly could be is that we're afraid of getting in trouble. I think sometimes sin can seem like, oh, we're not that bad of a person. And a lot of it's because if I were to go down the street and the reason that I wouldn't steal is most likely because I just don't want to get caught. We scoff at much of the evil in the world, but do we have the humility to consider how might how we might respond if we had true freedom to do whatever we wanted to do. I, I thought about this this week. This is one of my questions. And some of you, this may be like, you'd be like, no way, of course I would do this. But imagine this. Imagine if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you never paid taxes again, you would never get caught. How many people, how many of you would still pay your taxes? Some people, right? There's some people raising your hand. Well, good for you. I, th- I think dig a little deeper on that one. <laughs> if you had unlimited power, which means that you could have whatever you wished and ever you wanted in your life, would you be more like Jesus who emptied himself of the riches of heaven and became human and died for us? Or maybe you'd start off like Solomon, right? The wisest man in the world, but ends his life accumulating maybe the greatest fortune in the history of the world and thousands of wives and concubines. I think most of us, if we really dug deep and the restrictions were off, and the consequences for our sin or the consequences for our decisions were taken away, many of us would fall into greater sin. And so we can scoff at other people's evil. We can mock other people for the mistakes that they've made. Or we can uh, be uh, pet, you know, terrified of people, other people's horrible actions. But I think that when it talks about evil in the scriptures and how our hearts are often running and far from God, apart from the grace and the mercy of God, many of us would be doing the same things. I think the scriptures are really clear that God searches the heart. And what that means is he doesn't just look at what we do, but what we desire, what we long for, what we think about, what we would do if we could, what we do when no one else is around. As I said before, most of our sin is restrained because we live in a context where the potential consequences outweigh the opportunity. But most of us, many of us, those of us that are apart from the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God, if the opportunity was greater than the consequence, would do the bad thing that's before us. We don't do what's right very often because it's beautiful and lovely, because it's true. We do it out of Shaming or conditioning or because we, it makes us look good or we get something out of it. I think Jesus is very clear. I think that the, the, the Bible is very clear that it's very difficult to recognize our need for forgiveness. One last thing on this passage before we move on. Readers of the story. It's interesting because this is the only place, and this was pointed out uh, to me by a, a couple different commentators, but this is the only place in Scripture 
in the New Testament where someone's sins are forgiven without them repenting first. It's the only time that you can find it in the New Testament, I believe. This is, I, I'm trusting these people. I didn't, go with, I didn't read the entire New Testament to, to confirm this this week. But I believe this is the only instance. And it's so interesting, isn't it? And it says that Jesus in verse 8 could tell what the religious leaders were thinking. That they were kind of saying, who is this guy think he is that he can forgive others? And so my sense is that he also could tell what this paralytic was thinking. And this paralytic wasn't actually like the, the 21st century person that I was describing before. That he was coming to Jesus with faith, believing that Jesus was the Messiah. Believing that Jesus could heal him. Believing that Jesus was the one. He perceived this man's heart, this man's faith, even though it was inarticulate. His longing for the grace and the mercy that comes from Jesus. And I love this passage because it shows that Jesus is aggressive with his forgiveness, does it not? Isn't that comforting? That Jesus like creates his own opportunities to forgive. He's going in there. He senses what's going on in the heart. He is so willing to forgive us, so willing to embrace us. And I think that apart from seeing Jesus as, as trustworthy, as good, as aggressively loving, as aggressively forgiving, as aggressively for gracious, then it's really hard to, if you don't see Jesus that way, then it's really hard to respond to his call to forgive others. It's really hard to choose and live counterculturally to everyone else instead of seeking revenge to deny yourself and follow Jesus, to die to yourself. What happens is we have to begin to see that Jesus is more trustworthy than our own hearts, than our own individual perspectives. And even what our context and culture may declare to us about what is right or wrong. And what's so fascinating is that we give ourselves this idea that we, I, I would say, like, like I said before, I think there's two trends in our culture. One is that we don't really need personal forgiveness. But the second one is that uh, we are so quick to condemn others, are we not? When they step outside of what we believe is right and wrong. We're so quickly to crush and to belittle and to mock. We're so non-judgmental about certain things that would fit within our moral code. But outside of that, we are just as bad at condemning others as previous generations that we despised. So we don't personally need God's forgiveness, but if you cross me, in my own personal lines, then you will be destroyed. You will be crushed. And so the second thing, trend, is that I shouldn't forgive you. There's so much pride and confidence in our own personal goodness, in our own morality, that anyone that steps out of that is condemned. 
There's a, a pastor that I follow on Twitter, and he jokingly said that 90% of my Twitter t- timeline is now people confessing other people's sins. It's like we have rejected religious fundamentalism, and rightly so, and we've embraced a new one. The problem is, is that the rules change, don't they? The standards change, and, and, and that's sometimes good. It's sometimes pro- progress. We've made a lot of mistakes in our past. We need to make new changes to our expectations and our, our moral code as a, a context in our culture. But there's this arrogance that can come where we think that we have it right and everyone else has it wrong. And so there's a sense where... Uh, we, are, we view other people as wrong and full of hate and, and, and they can even confess and they can even repent of their sin and there's still this idea that I don't need to forgive you because of what you've done in the past. So this is almost the new ideology of the day. And I think that we are people that desire a story to live by. Do, do we not? Like we, We're story-driven people. And if it's not the story of Christianity, then it will be something else. And it's what's fascinating is that what Jesus says in a lot of the Gospels, it's not like he, he completely made it up. It's like it can't be found anywhere else in the whole, and like on all of the ancient Near Eastern literature and first century, you know, and Greek thought and all these other, it's not like any of these things, like he just, he just made up everything on his own. But one thing that you really do find that's very rare is this idea of loving your enemy. Because it's so revolutionary. It's so counterintuitive. And we walk in awe of it, do we not, when we actually see it practice? That's why activists like, uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, this idea of, of, of radically forgiving people as the only way to truly change people's heart was so formative and <laughs> helpful and good and, and worked. Maybe it didn't get us all the way that we still have a long ways to go, right? A long ways to go. But there is this sense of uh, a change in the water. There's actually activists now that would say, uh, if you forgive other people, it only per- perpetuates the cycle of attacks and abuse. And I can see how they would get there. That our forgiveness is just a means for you to continue to take advantage of us. There are many people that have, been for, that have forgiven others only to continually being abused in the same relationship or abused in the same context and system. But forgiveness, and I don't think Jesus is saying this, does not mean that one allows the other to do that. I think that what happens is this idea that... Uh, if we don't live out the forgiveness, we live out this other way. Sorry, I'm a little confused by the phone going off there. <laughs> Lost my spot. So I think what I'm trying to say is this. The alternative to forgiveness is typically condemnation and ostracization. 
and is at worst taking up the violence of the oppressor. So it's almost like getting back at the person that's harmed you. And I know this may be a little bit too simple, but I, I, I talked about the situation in Afghanistan and the war that we've been in for the last 20 years that's led to lots of death and tons of revenge. And none of our problems have really been solved. Hate just continues to produce hate. And then I read Biden's statement, and it sounds eerily similar to the one that George Bush said 20 years ago, does it not? About how we're going to attack and how we're going to repay and how we're going to seek revenge. And this is a, a big societal level, but it happens to us individually as well, doesn't it? How can I get back? How can I hurt? How can I harm? But when we see true forgiveness lived out, when we see the words of Jesus on display, it moves us. It's so Incredible, is it not? I remember reading um, Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. I don't know if some of you may have read that book. It's an incredible book. And one of the opening quotes of the first chapter was this. He says, we're all more than the worst thing that we've ever done. And I remember sitting there reading that, that page. And he's talking about working with, with men and, and women that are on death row, that are incarcerated, that are wrongly accused. But even if they're not wrongly accused, that they deserve to have someone, you know, like try to protect their rights and help them along and all these things like this. And he says that statement. And I remember just feeling that this, like this, this sense of like goodness well up inside of me to bring you to tears. Maybe a more lighthearted one. Jimmy talked about um, a TV show last week, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a TV show example this week. All right? I want to be like Jimmy. So, uh, I, again, you know, everybody may have different feelings about different shows. I'm not trying to convince you to, to watch anything or recommending it. But there's a show called Ted Lasso. And so some of you have seen that show. If you haven't, he, there's this guy named Ted, and he is a football coach, and he gets hired to coach an English soccer team in the Premier League. And he's this very interesting, uh, fun guy. And uh, he works for a woman named Rebecca who owns the team. And she owns the team because her husband had uh, cheated on her and leaves her. And so she owns it. And her goal is to essentially drive this team down into the dumps to destroy it as much as, as she can so that it would make her ex-husband miserable. And in the process, she hires Ted and tries to sabotage everything he does to the team. She hires a photographer to create rumors about Ted and a player's girlfriend. She sells off players that, that are the best ones on the team. She, she lies and manipulates and does all sorts of things. To this person, Ted, who seems like a really great guy. He is. She even sets up an interview with a really tough journalist so that he would be humiliated. She comes to Ted at one point and she recognizes her mistakes. She recognizes how much she has hurt the coach that she has hired. And she walks down with tears and she expresses everything to him. And he sits behind his desk and he's listening the whole time and he's just kind of nodding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she, she shakes uh, her head and she says, if you want to quit if you want to tell the press, I understand. She says, if you want to get revenge, if you want to get me back, if you want to make me look foolish, I get it. 
he stands up and he shakes his head and he says to her these words, I forgive you. And she stands there crying. She shakes her head. And if you haven't seen the show, you're like, this is way more dramatic. And you're telling me word by word for word. I don't know what's going on. But she says, why? And he says this to her. He says, divorce is hard. It doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or the one getting left. It makes folks do crazy things. And he had gone through one too. And he says, this job, even though you tried to sabotage it, has changed my life. And we're good. And they give this this hug. And it is so moving. I mean, even if you don't watch the show, you could just watch the clip on YouTube and you'd be moved. Because there's this, this, this person that has hurt this other person. It's so clear that she's in the wrong. It's so clear that she deserves uh, payback, that she deserves revenge, that she deserves to be pummeled under his foot for what she has done. And yet here's this person that forgives. And these are the moments that draw us into the beauty and the goodness of what Jesus is talking about. And I think that the, 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 and, and this, the, the show misses this point because I think what happens is that ultimately the reason that we, forget, we can forgive is that we have been forgiven. The reason that we can forgive other people is that we're humble enough to recognize that we have needed absolute forgiveness from the Savior of the universe and Jesus. Forgiveness can ultimately come to the community in our lives because of the heart of our faith, which is the story of Jesus going to, to, to the cross to defeat the powers of evil. Because Jesus has dealt with death, has dealt with evil in the world. And so you are able to hold someone accountable for their actions to seek justice and still not lose heart. And still at some place get to the point where you can forgive someone else that has wronged you, that's harmed you, that has even abused you. That's why Jesus can be on the cross with the full weight of our sin And all those that came before and say to the guards that had just whipped him and beat him and mocked him and now are killing him. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. It's the reason that Stephen can be being stoned to death just a few years later for his faith. And he can repeat the words of Jesus. Forgive them for they do not know what they do. I'm convinced more than ever that forgiveness and justice are not opposing ideas. But we have to do a lot of work to make them work together. And when we look to the person of Jesus, we can see a pathway forward. I want to read to you a passage from Luke 7 that is one of my, I would just say it's one of my top 10 moments of Jesus. And I want to close the service this way because I think that this passage, and I don't don't even have it on the screen, so I just want you to kind of close your eyes and I want you to hear how Jesus speaks to Simon. 
Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house and a woman comes and anoints his head uh, with oil. She is most likely, uh, she's considered a sinner, one of the worst people of society. She's an outcast. She's considered outside of the, the morally right people of the day. And Simon says if he really was the Messiah, he would know who this woman is. Jesus knows what he says. It's a similar story to Mark 2. And he says to this, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other one 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, for the first time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. <clears throat> 